Are you frustrated with your government contracting journey? Do you feel like there's just something missing in your business, but you just can't put your finger on it? Are you finding enough opportunities? Are you struggling to win the few opportunities you do find? Do you have a plan of attack or a strategy for this market? Would you like somebody to review your current approach? Maybe it's time to consider getting a coach. Our team of coaches have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. We've figured out how to help companies just like you accelerate in this market. Market. If you want to find out if coaching is for you, go to federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today and fill out a coaching application. I will personally respond to your application and schedule a time for us to talk about your business. There's no cost for the session. There's no obligation. There's no hard sell or anything like that. What I will guarantee you is I will review your top challenges and give you detailed advice. And if coaching makes sense for you, I'll walk through your options. Visit federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today to get started. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everyone, Michael Lejeune here and I will be your host today on Game Changers. And as always, we have a great guest for you today. Her name is Linda Rawson. And uh, this is the first time I've never asked somebody if I'm saying their name right. So hopefully I got your name right in here. Um, And our topic today is we're going to be talking about finding success as a woman-owned small business in government, which I think is a fascinating topic, whether you are a woman-owned business or not. I think it's just really interesting seeing some of the themes uh, that are out there that kind of create success for people. So Linda is an entrepreneur. She's an author, an inventor, and the owner of Dynagrace Enterprises. So welcome to the show, Linda. Why don't you please take a minute and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure thing. Thank you, Michael. It's it's really a pleasure to be on your show. I am the owner of Dynagrace Enterprises. We are a family-owned business in uh, rural Morgan, Utah. It's uh, typically a small Mormon community, and somehow we have managed to get into government contracting and have been in that space for about 12 years. It's myself and my daughter, Jennifer. Uh, we're a family-owned business, which also brings its share of um, interesting things. And uh, we got started. I never intended to be an entrepreneur. I was a software developer in a cube, writing all kinds of software, um, you know, bioinformatics, radar software. I worked on and off at an Air Force base since I was 18 years old. And uh, one day, someone that I had uh, done some, you know, work for in the environmental information systems came to me and said, Linda, would you like to be a sub on a contract for NASA? And I, I was floored. I was, you know, divorced. I had three adult children in high school. And I just decided, well, what was the worst thing that could happen? You know, they would have to sleep on somebody's couch for a while. And, and, you know, that's not a bad thing for kids. You know, it's not a bad thing for them to know poverty. So I took the jump and I've never looked back. It's my um, first and only business. Well, not only, but first business. And and here we are 12 years later. And I uh, get asked a lot about government contracting. And so I also wrote a book to help other people interested in government contracting, in particular, 
minority and women-owned businesses. That's awesome. What is the book and where can people get that? Because I want, I want to make sure they know about your book. It's called the Minority and Women-Owned Small Business Guide to Government Contracts, and it's available on Amazon. Awesome. Very cool. You know, and it, it's funny, I, I hadn't, I, I've read a lot of different things on your website, and I don't remember seeing the story you just told about how you kind of got into this. The whole reason I'm in business is because I was going to college to be a software developer, flew through most of college, got to the part where you started doing databases and realized how much I hated databases and being a software developer. So I was going to try and leave that business. And my boss pulled me aside and said, why don't you try sales before you leave? What's the worst that could happen? Similar to what you're saying. What's the worst that could happen? He got me into sales and I've never looked back. That led me into my own business and all kind of things. And it's somebody, you know, seeing a talent in you and saying, why don't you try something? Uh, and that, that got my start for me. So it's very interesting, you know, with the software development background we both have. So maybe there's something to that in our success and the mindset we have, maybe we'll see. So, you know, when you first got into government contracting, obviously that you were kind of pulled into it, whether you liked it or not, right. You wanted to try it through, through the, the contract you're talking about. Where did you find your, your first real taste of success? I mean, besides this, I mean, you, you come in, you get this contract and then you have to figure out, hey, I'm going to go and do this more. You know, you've been around 12 years. Where was your first really big taste of success in government? So it came after uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good writer, like really good, actually. And I there was another woman in my space, another, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but a white woman. And she had gotten her 8A status by proving gender discrimination. So I thought I could write. I could, I thought there'd been all those scenarios. There's the, you know, going to conferences, being asked to wear a low cut shirt, not, not wanting to travel alone because you're a woman, you know, uh, the salary discrepancies, pretty easy to find people to, you know, write an affidavit and get that uh, 8A status. So I did, I wrote the thing and, and, uh, I, I got it and I didn't know what to do with it. It just sat in a corner, right? Just sat there and, and I knew that I should be doing something with it. Like all these people were getting all of these contracts and all this, you know, and I, I was like, I, uh, you know, so I got approached by a blast from my past again love love people I've worked with over the years and and they came to me and their name select engineering services and they said Linda what are you doing with your 8a and I said nothing you know she's sitting there and so they said well why don't we you know enter into a mentor prodigy relationship and a joint venture and we are going to approach all of our customers with this new contracting avenue so our, our, you know, so we did that and we started to get contracts together, you know, and it was, it was like a, you know, people talk about adrenaline from competitiveness. That's exactly what it was. You're competing and you're winning and it's the best feeling on the face of the planet. And you're also providing people jobs and you're making their lives better because you're, 
you know, getting them into long-term situations and, and making sure that they work, they, they are able to say that they work for the best company they've ever worked for. And there's nothing better, you know, than that feeling. Hmm. That, that's awesome. You know, and I know you recently graduated from the ADA program. Can you tell us a little bit about what your experience has been besides that that first initial boost of success there? Because a lot of people talk to me about getting in the program and sort of like what you were saying, it just kind of sits there. They think, hey, this is going to be the golden ticket. They get it and then just sits there because they don't know how to utilize it. And they're not sure about bidding on the contracts. They're like, are they even worth bidding on? I'm just kind of curious what your take was after that initial burst of success. Then, you know, I've appreciated your podcast because it goes through the scenarios about how to win government work. And really, when you get that, it's sort of like you've you've gotten business, but you didn't really take a lot of business in college or, you know, you didn't really have a lot of business experience or sales or marketing. So when things get, you know, popped into your lap and you have success, you have to figure out how to continue that success and maintain those relationships to further get more sole source awards. I mean, they, they're called directed awards now, but um, it's, it's still the same. Someone likes you, they write your name on the contract and they give it to you, you know? So it's still, 8A is the best way to get government contracts, but it's also the hardest way if you don't go through the steps to figure out your target market and figure out those relationships. Hmm. Well, I'm curious, you know, you bring that up. What steps did you go through to figure out who your target market is? Because I think that is probably the hardest thing for a lot of people because a lot of businesses, especially the ones who kind of lucked into their first contract, they'll usually say, well, everybody's my target market. I could work for anyone, anywhere, and we could do 87 different things. How did, how did you figure out who your target market was? Well, you have to – there's different steps in the government, Right. There's the uh, contracting officers who can, you know, give the money, but the end users are actually your friends, right? So, so it just depends because they've got to be able to influence all the way up to that contracting officer to get them to use you as a vendor. And so there's, you know, and I mean, I talk about it in my book, but there's four different types of customers and you've got to be able to go through the steps. I've gotten to the point a contracting officer decided that they wanted to use their local favorite. So even though I was popular with the end user and popular with the procurer, I was not popular with that contracting officer. So my contract didn't go through. So it's it's a matter of determining. Now, there's a lot of ways to find out agencies that don't meet their, um, you know, their percentages. And you can also go to events and find those people. But you have to, you know, be good friends with all, with all of the levels or it can't go through. Or if you're, if you're, you know, if you've got the relationship with your end user, do they have enough pull with the contracting officer to get it all the way through? Yeah. And I honestly, I feel like for a lot of companies, the hardest person for them to locate is the end user in a lot of times like it's 
it's somewhat easy to locate a contracting officer or, you know, the small business office, you know, because sometimes if you can't figure out who the contracting officer is, you can call the small business office. But actually trying to find an end user is somewhat difficult for a lot of people. And it sounds like you not necessarily had the reverse of that, but, you know, you were in situations where you knew end users and had to kind of work your way backwards through it. Um, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned the contracting officer having a, a personal preference there. I was actually just interviewing a contracting officer for an upcoming podcast that we have. And he was saying the number one decision they make uh, or the number one decision they have to make is which contract vehicle or how are they going to, to go and procure something. And he said, it really is personal preference. He was like, that drives 98% of the decisions I make is personal preference. You know, which, which contract vehicle do I like to use? You know, which companies do I like to work with? How do I like to do things? And, and you see that because some people are hitting their numbers, some aren't, and it all kind of goes back to their personal preference on a lot of this stuff. So it, it just, it's very interesting to see how that works. So any other thoughts or, or advice on the 8A program in order for somebody to be successful in it? Uh, like I said, find that mentor and make sure that that mentor uh, isn't just using you and throwing you away. For instance, uh, my mentor walked me through how to write a technical proposal. They walked me through how to get my my accounting system set up correctly in case, you know, of an audit. And I, I can't begin to tell me, you know, tell you how appreciative I am of the introductions that they've made. And so it's it's a matter of finding it. And it might be another small business, not a large business, who simply needs your check mark. Yeah, they're just bigger than you, right? Right. <laughs> or or maybe not maybe not a lot bigger than you. They're just different than you. They don't have the checkbox you have. So Right, right. Yeah. And I think that's a great point there and and one that maybe a lot of people don't think about around, you know, is your mentor using you or not? And I think the the quickest way to find out is, are they providing value to you? And you just described things that were all of value to you, you know, whether it was your accounting system or other things they, they did for you. Uh, I think that's a, a real quick check to figure out, is this mentor in it just for them? Or are they really you know, looking at, at the true purpose of this arrangement, which is that both people get some benefit in that, you know, and obviously they get benefit when the both of you win uh, a, a contract. But, you know, when we're the bigger company mentoring somebody smaller, we should be doing the things that you're talking about, actually mentoring them to make them a better company. I think that just makes the whole community better. So so that that's a, a really good point. And so if you're listening to this, and you are in the 8A program or about to be in the 8A program, that's one of the top things you want to look for from your mentor. So anyway, really good advice there. So, you know, you've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, your success in this, about talking with some of the, uh, the kind of the grassroots level customers that you have. How do you do your research when you're approaching a new customer? How do you find them? And, you know, what websites have you found to be, really helpful for you? Well, I mean, the small business dashboard, obviously you can see which agencies are not meeting their percentages. 
and find out where those people are going to be, which events they're going to be at. And that's, I mean, we talk a lot about relationships, but, but uh, for me, you know, you have to decide how big you want your company to be as well. If you're comfortable in, you know, a 25 person company, great. But if you want more, then you're going to have to, you know, be more places and get to know more people and prove your worth. So I, um, my favorite, I mean, I have a couple of favorite events, but uh, the Navy Gold Coast Conference and also uh, I'm all for Margot Dorman of uh, United States Women's Chamber of Commerce. Their matchmaking events are incredible. Mm. It, but you can also, um, like I said, right now, you know, you can go look and see the Department of Energy never meets their women on the small business criteria, you know, and um, a lot of the scientific arenas. Uh, just it, so, so I would say that small business dashboard is one of the better ones, as well as, you know, usaspending.gov. Yeah. And, and just for the people that don't know, do you have the website handy for the small business dashboard? Um, we can post it in your notes for okay. the cool. for the podcast. Okay. I have several um, things that I'd like to, you know, written things that will help people. So, some websites and different links. Yeah, that, uh-huh. yeah, that, yes. that would be great because I think a lot of people uh, will start Googling it and they might wind up in the wrong place. So I think it, it'll be great. We'll We'll add a little note section there uh, at the end of this podcast, so you'll be able to see where uh, where those links and websites are for folks. So that that'll be good. So you mentioned the the Gold Coast, uh, the Navy Gold Coast uh, event. You like that one a lot. I do like that one because they have matchmaking. As soon as they have a bunch of government officials there and they give you five or ten minutes with different agencies. That's by far the best. And they, they give you all the information about their forecasting too, what they've got coming up. And if one of those is in your wheelhouse, you need to get it on your, you know, get ready to get all of the written words, get ready to find out who the end users are and go after it. Good. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the few events I've not been to is the Navy Gold Coast. So we've actually put it on our calendar a couple of times and not gone for some reason. So it's, I'm glad to hear the feedback from you on that and just to kind of touch on what you were just talking about there a lot of people again i'm i'm talking about the the complaints you hear in in the circles of of government a lot of people actually complain about the matchmaking events that they they don't necessarily uh help them grow grow their business and this is one of the things that you're talking about being so valuable what is it that you do in that five minutes that has helped you grow your business? So in that five minutes, for number one, I find out their forecasts. What are they doing? And then in that, also in that five minutes, you have a chance to, you know, give them your capabilities. And the important thing after that is to follow up. And don't, I mean, follow up immediately. Everybody will do that. Mm-hmm. But what about in three or four months? You know, I mean, government work to get good government work takes a year to 18 months. You can't stop at two months. Right. I'm so glad you said that. And, you know, it's funny. There's a lot of times I say something like that and people are like, you've got to be paying these guests to say to back up your story. And it's it's but it's so true. What you said is so true that a lot of times 
often we say six to 12 months at a minimum, but 12 to 18 months, sometimes longer to get some of these contracts and people quit after one or two contacts. They, you know, you've contacted them twice in the span of 90 days. You don't know why you don't have a contract and you walk away. And it, it's, it's just a waste of time and resources to only do one or two contacts. You know, for us, we've got people that have been in our pipeline for four and five years that have never bought anything that all of a sudden they've been listening to a podcast for a year and a half and they buy something. You know, it's, it's just, I find personally that the government contractors actually move at the same speed of the government, which is super slow. You know, the, the government <laughs> just moves so slow and it's unfortunate to me that government contractors kind of mimic that pace and mimic the decision process. I've actually had people say, well, you know, we're going to interview three or four people and ask for a proposal. I'm like, dude, you're talking about a product that's 59 bucks or whatever. Well, why do you need proposals for this? You know, and why do you need to research and take months? And, you know, it, it's just interesting. So, you know, one of the things I could say is start to speed up your process if you're a government contractor when you're when you're procuring your own services but a little tangent there but uh but yeah i i think the advice you gave there very spot on for people and if you've been to if you're listening to this and you've been to a matchmaking event and you don't know why it's not going anywhere or you feel like it's a waste of time go back and listen to what linda just said it's just a couple of fundamentals but i i assume just based on what I've read and, and learned about you that you're very persistent over that, you know, 12 to 18 months to make sure you get some work. You know, there's, there's yeah. No and, I, and as a woman, I do some other things. I wear bright colors, you know, I try to make myself memorable and then, you know, those, we have to use what we got. Yeah. And, and so I do. Cool. Awesome. Well, you know, I love events and to me, the more events that we can find that people can endorse like you just did, the better. So the Navy Gold Coast one. What was the other one you mentioned? It was the, the Chamber of Commerce one. Right. United States Women's Chamber of Commerce. Okay. They have a federal contracting summit twice a year. Awesome. And and that one was incredible. Okay. Awesome. So there's another event for folks to, to look at. So anytime. Um, recently. Uh, well, last week I went to. Um, I recently learned about consortiums and I don't know if you have, um, heard anything about consortiums, but they're, uh, basically a broker for some, uh, R and D projects for the government. And then they line up contractors that can do those and, and get them on contract fairly quickly. Hmm. So that's, um, I, I haven't quite navigated through exactly how all that works, but uh, the consortiums are coming up on the radar. Yeah. Well, you know, the one thing I'll, I'll tell our listeners is if you've got a question about something Linda is, is saying, like the consortiums, and you want to follow up, her contact information will be in the podcast uh, notes section. You can reach out and ask because... You know, like you said, Lindy, you're you're starting to figure that out now. I'm sure, you know, in a couple of months, you'll really know your way around it and have more advice for folks. So connect with Linda. If nothing else, there, there could be an opportunity to team with her or do other things with her and her company. So definitely connect with Linda on that stuff. So I want to go back to something you, you said about uh, kind of growing your company and having to figure out how big you want to be and that sort of thing. It, it kind of leads into 
growing outside of not necessarily the family owned side, but but typically when you see a family owned business, there's a handful of people, two, three, four people uh, in the company. And it's very easy to wrap your head around those amount of people. But when you start hiring staff that aren't family, that are people you have to interview and bring on, I actually I run into a lot of consultants that can't get their mind wrapped around that. And a lot of business owners that the thought of having, quote, employees scares the heck out of them. I know this is not necessarily off topic, but what have you found? Like, how did you get over that hump to bring those people on board so you can put them on a contract and grow beyond, you know, a hundred thousand dollar business? How, what was, what was the mindset shift you had to make to do that? I, you know, I'm not a selfish person. And for me, I wanted to make sure that they were well taken care of. And in turn, they need to work hard and be professional and, and show up. And, you know, so for the most part, when you're in an 8A situation, you almost always know the people that you're going to hire. You're either taking over a project that another 8A you know, graduated and couldn't take over. And and so the project that, you know, comes that you have to hire people, it teaches you how to screen these people and really use your gut feelings and, and know and call their references and figure out whether they're going to be a good fit. Because the last thing you want is you place someone at a government installation representing your company the last thing you want is, you know, a, a person that doesn't meet your standards because in order to get more business, you've got to show up and people have to respect your business. So if you put people there that aren't going to represent you, then you're setting yourself up to fail. So I have a, you know, a, a screening process. A lot of it is gut feel like how are they gonna you know do with everyone else and it doesn't mean that I haven't had to fire people because I will and I'll fire quickly because I don't want toxic in my company mm. so and that you know again takes a lot of explaining with a government customer that you know this isn't a good fit I've listened to you I, I know we're gonna put somebody in just quickly I mean, so have, have you found for the most part that when you're dealing with a, a sensitive situation like that, where you're swapping somebody out, it's really about positioning with the government where, where, you know, you're really just sitting them down, walking them through what's going to happen and why, and why this is the best case scenario. And they're, and they're typically fine with it, aren't they? Well, they've been frustrated with that employee as well. There you go. You know, and so, um, you know, when that happens, they're actually relieved that you're going to, you know, that you have enough guts to like get rid of that person and get somebody in because some contractors will leave that person because it's, you know, it's not easy to get another person to replace them. Right. Well, but, go ahead. And But you've got to get that toxic out. You just have to. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. You know, you've, you've probably heard the saying and everybody listening has probably heard the saying it's good enough for government work, right? You know, that's, that's the saying we've, we've heard, uh, all our lives in government contracting. And the truth is it's not good enough. You know, that that's the, the only reason you get 
those second and third and continuing awards is you're you're not just good enough to meet the standard you're delivering above and beyond and so i i think that's what what we're talking about here and i i appreciate that and i i do agree i think uh every time i have ever approached a government client with something that internally we were nervous about they were always very relieved you know it's like thank you for stepping up and fixing this or you know, or replacing this person or whatever it may be. I've never had backlash where they were like, well, now we're going to yank your contract, <laughs> you know, or, or something like that. That's never happened to me. So I, I appreciate that feedback. So, you know, as we're starting to get low on time here, there's a, there's a couple of things I want to hit on because there's so much content that we talked about beforehand. I'm curious if when you got in the market, were there any like big surprises? I mean, I know we've talked about some of the things with 8A and other stuff, but did you have any other big surprises when you got into the market? Well, the surprise was that I never intended to be an entrepreneur and I have a business, right? <laughs> right. I think that's the biggest surprise. What? Yeah. <laughs> that is a big um, surprise. You know, I'm still surprised at gender discrimination. I, I'm, I'm still surprised. Uh, even in 2018 hmm. and uh, even, you know, even, you know, I said I went to the consortium and, and they said that one of the consortiums had a after party and that they had hired, you know, booth babes. And I'm like, did you really just say booth babes? You know? <laughs> and so I'm still surprised at the amount of, of discrimination and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, as far as financing goes, financing is very, very difficult for a woman to get. And, you know, still surprised to this day at that, hmm. those issues. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that I'm I'm fairly young. So at the time of this recording, I'm 42. So in some respects, some people will say I'm ancient and uh, in other respects, fairly young for this market. When I look at the market, I always tell people the market hasn't changed a whole lot in like 50 years. And in fact, some of the people, when I look around, have been around for 50 years. And so it actually doesn't surprise me to hear you say that. Like, I, I'm, I'm young enough that I grew up in a generation where, like, I don't see the discrimination, like, like one-on-one. -on -one. Like, we don't see it at our level. But to hear about it, doesn't surprise me in the least bit because when you look at the market there's people that have been in like i said 30 40 50 years that have been in this market and guess what comes with that you know and i'll just say it you know there's there's the old white guy uh, mentality that you do see in a lot of these these contracting circles here whether it's companies or whatever and and there's no offense to anybody who's listening to this you know it's just it's the market the market was it is what it is and what i'm curious about is how do you overcome some of that stuff you know and and part of it just seems like the mentality like you seem like you've got this mentality that says i don't care what your you know, discrimination is or what your views are, we're going to be successful. And I, I don't, I don't know what else it is, but I mean, just hearing you talk, there's this confidence that we're going to make it work one way or another. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and the nice thing is 
uh, the generations are coming up. So the one guy, when the one guy said "booth babe," the other guy said, "Hey, Linda's sitting right here. Didn't you like notice?" You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I mean, it's it's uh, they do realize it, you know, and it has never prevented me from being successful. You know, in fact, the woman-owned small business checkmark is getting bigger and bigger. And there's more and more opportunities. And so I, you know, I, I feel like that it's almost, it can be an advantage in some, you know, some circles. So I don't, I don't ever let it affect me. I kind of laugh it off. It's kind of humorous because I'm like, really? Wow. Okay. You know, (laughs) and, and a lot of times it's not meant to be mean, right? you know, it, they don't even realize it. Right. And so it's not, if, if you uh, have a chip on your shoulder and you walk around, I mean, no one wants to be around the cloud in the room, sure. you know, so it's just make light of it. It's, it's fine. It's kind of, you know, in your mind, you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> but no, it has never stopped me. Yeah. No, that, that makes, that makes perfect sense. You know, and uh, I do see, you know, a lot of different changes that are out there. And it surprises me, not that I should be surprised, but it's, it does surprise me how few uh, male-owned business owners I run into these days. When I'm out and about, I'm often shocked at how few male business owners I run into. A huge majority of the, of the companies that I speak to are woman-owned. And that is just growing and growing and growing. And so um, I definitely see that as a huge trend. And uh, it's almost like this thing of like, why aren't men starting companies again? Or maybe why aren't they keeping their companies around? But uh, it's just it's an interesting little thing because I, I, we go to a, a lot of conferences the National Veterans, the, the SAME conferences. And it's just it's a very interesting trend to see the growth in women owned small businesses. So I expect to see that continuing, not not going anywhere. So that's that's a really cool one. You had mentioned in the write up when we were kind of going back and forth about outsourced salespeople. And I know that's a thing for a lot of folks. And in this market, we often get pounded by email, especially once you're registered in Sam, you're going to start getting a lot of marketing email pieces out there. How did you deal with the outsourced salesperson thing that we see so often? Um, I have never, um, I have never participated in the outsource sales and the, the feedback that I've gotten from people is, and I'll give you one scenario, um, hire, you know, the, the, the sales guy, he's, you know, retired military, he's, you know, really charismatic and he's got all of the connections and, and so he decides to, you know, work for this 8A company and just gets sales and sells and sells and gets them, you know, off the charts and, and they carry a salary for a year and the next year all the contracts flow in. And so now he's got this resume. And so now um, they're kind of done with him because he's gone through all of his contacts. So now, you know, the next 8A, couple of 8As say, oh, my gosh, I think you can do that for me. Well, he's already gone through all of his contacts with that other company. So when he goes to present to his contacts again, he now has like six companies that he's representing. And how do you, you know, how does he differentiate between all of them? 
So I mean, wow, these six companies are paying like his salary, and in after a year, he doesn't bring in any work for them. So I I just caution people to be really careful when choosing, you know, that out, you know, outside sales. Yeah, no, that's great advice. That's that's a lot. That's great insight into what's actually going on there because there's two things that our company never recommends you outsource. One of them is proposal writing and the other one is a salesperson. And the, and I say never on the proposal writing, we only recommend that when the person really has a deep understanding of your company. And, and in that situation where you're going to use the proposal writer over and over again, because in that scenario, they, they can get very intimate with your company and really understand it. But if it's just going to be a one-off, it's likely to be a waste. The other one is, is the salesperson thing where it's exactly what you're talking about. It's the retired colonel, the retired general, the retired whatever. And I have seen some mind boggling numbers that these companies throw at these people on the low end. I have seen $10,000 a month on the high end. I saw a company recently that we talked to, they were paying this guy $25,000 a month. And they did it for six months before they realized how foolish it was. And it was the exact same scenario you're talking about. The person had been in the market for 30 odd years and they had gone through all their contacts. And sure enough, they go through all their contacts for this company and they come up dry because they had done it a dozen times. And $25,000 a month for something like that because they thought, hey, he's a retired two-star general. He's going to know everybody under the sun. And they didn't even blink at the numbers. They just thought the money's going to rain down from the heavens. And so I'm glad to hear, you know, your feedback on that, because it's one of those things where it's so smart to keep this internal, whether you do it yourself as the owner or whether you outsource, not outsource, whether you hire somebody, I always think outsource, whether you hire somebody and bring them onto the team and educate them about what you do. In fact, I have an engineering background. We were talking about that earlier. Most of the people in in the software space that we turned into salespeople came out of the development or the tech support team. It's just people that we found were fairly charismatic, but they really knew the product inside and out. And we started them as sales engineers and then moved them on into a sales role. And so it was people that, that really understood our company by the time they got out onto the sales floor, if you will. And so that, that was just a very interesting role for us to fill. So I know we've kind of bounced around here, but I wanted to talk about, you know, a lot of different subjects. And again, as an entrepreneur, you kind of bounce around anyway, but talk about a lot of different areas where you found success and give some great advice. I think we've done that. But if you could leave the listeners with just a couple of pieces of uh, pieces of advice, what do you have for them? I, I would say to have confidence in your abilities and and to really analyze yourself and know what you want and put your intention into everything that you do. And if you're if you're um, if you know what you want and you're passionate about it, the money is going to follow. Yeah, that, that's a big piece of advice, and it sounds so simple, yet so many times people wind up in a situation like yours where. They've kind of, I don't want to say been forced, but they've kind of landed in this entrepreneurship role and don't really know what to do, don't have a direction, 
and they just kind of flounder. And so I think it's great advice there to really be focused on what you want, have that passion for it, and then just, you know, go for it, you know, communicate that passion to people. I think they see it. I, I know when I, whether it's a school teacher or somebody in business or even a waitress somewhere or a waiter or whatever it is, I go somewhere and I find somebody who's passionate about what they do. It just, it screams it over everybody else who does what, you know, in the same field. You know, and so I think that's just really important advice for folks. So thank you so much for coming on here today. I'm sure we'll talk to you more again, everybody. I'm going to have all of Linda's contact information and uh, a few notes inside the, uh, the note section on the podcast on the website. So you'll be able to check that out and be able to reach out and connect with Linda. I'm sure you'd love a LinkedIn request or whatever it may be, an email or anything like, right, Linda? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Cool. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. And I want to take a minute to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program at federal-access.com. When you visit the site today, you'll learn how to get a free copy of the government sales manual when you register and become a member. And be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.